Okay, good morning and good evening and so on. Um, I'm glad Omar Zain has put up the uh, information about the Female Visions Conference. Um, I was on there for a little bit this morning. It looks wonderful. It's got big participation. And so, yeah, please uh, contact that Academy uh, website to, to move forward on that. Good. So. All right, let me make sure I have everything going. Okay, we've got all the co-hosts and we've got the recording started. So uh, we can begin with Fatiha. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim. Maliki Yawmiddin. Iyaka na'budu wa iyaka nasta'in. Itina surat al-mustaqim. Surat al-adhina an'amta alayhim. Ghil maghdubi alayhim waladhalin. Ameen. So let's start here. Okay, so is the sound everything okay? Sound sound is okay, good. So here are the, the three pages from volume one, uh, volume two, volume two that we'll be looking at. And volume two is in New York right now in Long Island. So uh, we'll look at these three pages and you can see that probably a bit unusually, there's a lot of uh, the, that different kind of font it's called the, up, the upright font. Uh, that's sort of a commentary to help guide the reader. So there's a lot of that on these three pages because this is a very complex uh, story that he's telling about Aisha and Hafsa. So let's look at that. Okay. And I think we'll, uh, I think we start with Omar to recite that first uh, verse way up on top. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Intadahara alayhi fa inna allaha huwa mawlah wa jibreel wa salih al-mu'mineen wa al-malaikatu ba'da dhalika zahiran. Sadaqallahu al-Azim. And if you too put your back against him, then indeed it is God who is his mawla and Gabriel and the integrated faithful ones and the angels. Thank you. Yeah, this is uh, such such a um, shocking kind of verse. Uh, because, and we'll we'll hear about what Ibn Arabi says. He's just talked about the three hundred and sixty squared kinds of knowings in the manazil, in the alighting places. And then he asks another this person again another question. He's one of the reliable people. He asked them something else, and then he says. No one knows the armies of your Lord except who, citing the Quran. And since the armies are not known to anyone but who, and there does not belong to the Jew any opposition necessitating these armies in order to face them, except an individual of the human types or concealed types, so one is amazed at the great number of the army of the true. And so he said, when he said that, he said, do not be amazed by the cherisher of the heaven and earth so by, as an oath. There has come to pass something even more amazing. I asked, Ibn Abi asked, what is it? He replied to me, what God cited with regard to the two of the wives, Aisha and Hafsa, a messenger of God. 
Then he recited, if you two back each other against him, then God is his protector and Gabriel and the righteous faithful. And after that, the angels are his supporters. This is stranger than the stories of the army. Yes, the mysteries of God are wondrously strange indeed. Now it's very, so when we begin to try to understand this verse and, and where, it, where it's coming from or what the context, context is, uh, the, the context that Ibn Arabi is pointing us to is the power of these two women and the power of these two women against which has to come Allah as the Maula and Jibril and the integrated faithful ones and the angels. So this huge uh, force has to come together against these two women. And Ibn Arabi is saying this is, this is even more amazing than God having armies. So the other verse that this is connected to is the famous verse 434. So Surat Nisa 4 and then verse 34. And this verse, um, just as the as a translation from the Arabic is, and cut them off from your companionship. So Uchuru, so Hajara and Uchuru is to cut them off from your companionship. So that's the Second person masculine plural imperative form one. And then hunna is them, the feminine plural. Fi madaji in their in sleep, their sleeping places. So cut them off into their own uh, quarters. And so adribu here uh, just by the Arabic alone is the second person masculine plural imperative form four. So that's not the same as Daraba form one. So it's here to turn away from them or to uh, avert, the, go from them. And so then the two verbs, this Uchuru and Adribu are then companion verbs. So cut them off from your companionship and turn away from them. And as for Daraba as the form one, when it means strike or hit, Aisha said, uh, messenger of God never hit, so Daraba, never hit an assistant ever, nor a woman ever. So this is the background that we're looking at here. And what started all of this, uh, at least when I was preparing things, I began to prepare things so much material and that is put aside, just I think that happened two weeks ago prepared all this material and then put that aside because I had to look at this very small, seemingly small detail. And this small detail is circulating around the idea of slave, servant, free, freely given, coercion, forcing. And uh, it was either Baki or Sheikh, I was saying something about Sheikh Noor, talking about how there is no compulsion, what that really means, how that very deep that is. And so, of course, here we have the word slave, abd, slave all the time. And, you know, slave seems to be the ultimate in the compulsion and compelled because it's owned. Um, and so a lot of people translate abd as servant. But Ibn Arabi is very clear that there's a huge difference between a servant who volunteers in one way to serve and then the abd who is a slave. So I wanted to find out more about that. And I was kept looking at that. And one of the things that I'll just 
I've got that this little sentence down there, consider that sentence is going to go for the next three slides because we're really looking at what this idea of coercion, freely given, slave, servant, all of this as, as it comes together. And then it seems to really come from these two women. So the two women, there's some power that they have that all of these forces have to go against them. And, and Ibn Arabi says, and if not for Allah being part of that force, they would not be able to do anything. So we'll be looking at that with the idea of, of slave and, and, um, and abd, what that all means here. Now this, this next comes that uh, Ibn Arabi is talking about what these two women have, what Aisha and Hafsa have, is a, is a intense pillar of Rukan Shadid. So he then goes on and talks about this, he continues this and using this concept of Rukan Shadid, this powerful, strong pillar. So Ibn Arabi wanted to know about more about what these, the power these two women had. And when he was informed of it, he says, I never felt so happy by anything as by learning this. I learned on whom the two women stood for support and who gave them power. And if God had not mentioned that he himself would be there for victory, the angels and the faithful would not have been able to stand against the two. I learned that there had come to the two some knowledge of God, and I learned the effect they had on the world after the two were given this power. This is part of the knowledge which is like a deeply concealed form. I thank God for what he entrusted to me, and I guess that not a single one in God's creation stands on what these two women stood on. So this, the moment Ibn Arabi is talking about Aruk and Shadid, and by the way, I've been sitting with this one for, for many years, and chapter 22, where this comes, is just a uh, mystery inside a mystery inside an enigma. It's, it's a very, very mysterious and difficult chapter. Um, he says all these things, he makes all these lists, and you say, where, where's all this coming from? And he says, well, I'll tell you later, and uh, we're still kind of seeing all of that. But there are at least three, at least three secrets uh, that Ibn Arabi is, is looking at with this. And we'll look at one or two of them. And one of them is this Rukan Shadid. What is it that is an intense, powerful pillar? So if we go, the, the one that's, that we all, that Ibn Arabi knows that we hear the moment we hear Rukan Shadid, we're thinking of Lot, the prophet Lot, Lut. And so Lut, the situation there is when he says, um, oh, I wish that I had a strong pillar to lean against. So in Quran, he's saying that I wish I had a strong uh, pillar to lean against. But when Muhammad Sallallahu when Rasulullah talks about this strong pillar and Lut, he said, and God be kind to Lut. He was taking refuge at a strong pillar. So it's assumed that he knew that he had a strong pillar. Whereas when, it, when we hear the story in the Quran, it sounds like Lut was saying, oh, I wish I had a strong pillar. And so if we look at this, what this strong pillar is, well, one of them is, as you know, when the, when the, the assaulters are coming to the house of Lut and his family and the angels are there as visitors. And so uh, there's this, this, this struggle, this, this tension, because there's 
there's a, you know, potential violence and things like that. Um, one of the verses is that the people who are attacking or assaulting, who want to assault the angels and the inhabitants, they say, and so we have one verse here, they said, you already know what is ours concerning your daughters based on right, and indeed you know what we desire. So here, Lut is known to have, in this context, two daughters, and so that in Arabic would be dual. So the banat, daughters, plural, then refers to the women in general in the region. So in the region in which Lot was a prophet, uh, he would be saying, the women would then be his daughters, just like I will say, oh, my brothers or my sisters. So he will say, my daughters. So my daughters then are women in general in the region. And these people outside who are, or potential assaulters wanting to assault, they tell Lot, Lut, that you know what is ours concerning your daughters based on right. So the thing about uh, marriage, nikah, is that among, there's nikah is a contractual arrangement. And so there are rights on both parties. Both parties have rights and then rights and responsibilities. So the wife has the following rights and responsibilities and the husband has rights and responsibilities. And so when you enter into this uh, agreement, you enter in and then rights take over. But if you're not in that um, agreement, then you are someone who does not, no one has a right on you. So no one has a right to you because you are not in such an agreement. And so these people are saying that they know that they're saying to Lot, you should know, or you know that we have no right to women. So what they're saying is that we are not ones who are marrying women, because if we married women, we would have rights and they would have rights, but we are not those. Indeed, you know what we desire. So we're looking at that and then it seems that then we can connect that the two women of the previous slide, Aisha and Hafsa, and the two women, the daughters of Lot here, that the Rukin Shadid, the tremendous pillar, was the two daughters. And so like Aisha and Hafsa, they, were, they, had, they had no one who was coercing them. And so what they are and have is not accessible to others. So this inaccessibility is the key that makes them the powerful, intense pillar. And so be not consenting, not giving, being inaccessible is a tremendous power. And these two had, they were then the Rukan Shadid, this powerful pillar, which guarded the household and guarded them such that later on these the angels will, will appear and they will say, we were the ones who were at the house of Lot. And we were the ones that say, were there when he was saved with his family, except for his wife who turned into the pillar of salt. So this power of having, but not, not, not giving 
be and so that it's, it's it's this extreme power that Aisha and Hafsa demonstrated when they had what they had and they did not give it. And so there was no way of violently acquiring that. And that's why the Prophet is known by Aisha to, to never have hit any of the assistants or women ever. And another one, he hit no man, woman, or child ever, only raised his hand in jihad, in the, in the actual battle. So not hitting man, woman, or child. And so not coercing, not getting or taking what is not offered. So it's become very powerful. So this and the whole lot story, the story of Lut in Quran is the question of, of getting what's not offered and that that and that not being offered in the story of Lot and especially then his two daughters is the one that says this is what power resides and this Ibn Arabi is saying is that secret is the secret that once he learned it it's the one that is the greatest one that made him the happiest of any of the secrets that he was told okay and so did I just skip? Yeah, okay. No, we're not skipping, there we go. Okay, and so we're looking at this whole having a power and then the question of giving. And so the only way that I could be able to see what was happening here is the idea of slave and love, which of course sounds very strange. and. It only began to make sense because Ibn Arabi has talked about the greatest lover of God is his name is Abdullah, the slave of Allah. And that is from love. And so there are those who do things because they are made to do it. And those there are those who do things because they love the one who wants them to do it. So if Klaus, if you could read that the first the two lines and paragraph. Do not call me by anything but, hey, her slave, because this is the highest vantage position of my names. Here, Ubudiya, slave basis, is his essence. So he has no designated name, but whatever he, his beloved calls him by. So whatever name he gives him and calls him by, he responds and says, Labayak, here I am at your service. And when the lover is asked, what is your name? He says, ask the beloved, whatever is calling me, that is my name. I have no name. I am the unknown, which is not recognized, and the indefinite noun, the one none can discover who I am. Good. Yeah, this is an amazing passage here. So this Labek is, here I am at your service. So the K is you, and Labe is here I am or at your service, at service. Uh, 
So in the Maldives, uh, you hear the word labba all the time. It's one of the most common names, words you hear. Labba, so when someone says, uh, could you do this for me? Say labba, I'm at your service, I'll do it for you. And so uh, it's the thing that we you hear so often, it's how you are in relation to someone else. So someone, and especially the, the, the children are taught, you don't answer the elder by saying yes or no, you say labba. You know, here I am at your service. And so this, of course, is also during the Hajj and the pilgrimage, we say labek, we are here at your service. And so one of the major keys of the, or mysteries of the pilgrimage of the Hajj is that we are coming at the service of the divine and we are coming here for you. And that's why we're here. We're not here to be a tourist, to take pictures, to do this or that. We're here at your service. And so Ibn Arabi, of course, as you know him to do, uh, switches this around so beautifully. So labek means I am here at your service. So Ibn Arabi has this passage where he says, now this for us, we are here at your service. We go to the Hajj and we say, I'm here at your service. There are also the situation where the beloved is you. And then, so the one subject to Allah says, oh Allah. And Allah says to him, labek, here I am at your service. And the one who is subject to the cherisher, the cherished person, says, oh cherisher. And the cherisher says, labek, I am here at your service. And the one created says to who, oh creator, and creator says, labek, I'm here at your service. And the nourished one says, oh nourisher, and the nourishes sir, says, labek. And the weak one says, oh powerful one, and the powerful one says, I am responding to you. So the Arab says, ya Allah, to the one the Persians say, khuda to, and the room say, thia to, and the Armenian says, asfaj, to, and the Turk says Tankiri to, and the Frank says Kriador to, and the Ethiopian says Wak to. These are different phrases pointing to a single meaning intended based on every created being in the earth. So each created being will have their language in which they say, oh you, and they're talking to God. This is why we say that who is unknown of names you see the names are pointers. So the beloved, by whatever name his lover calls him, he responds. So the lover, by whatever name uh, he is, the lover calls, the beloved responds. And so this happens back and forth. So do not call me by anything but hey, her slave, over you there, her slave, because this is the highest vantage position of my names. So, hey, your slave, her slave, is, in this sense, Ibn Arabi says, for the Prophet Abdullah, the slave of God. So, if you want to say, who are you, to Muhammad Wasallam, he will say, I am the slave of God. Ask my beloved, and whatever name my beloved gives me, that's my name. And then God says in the same way, Whatever name my created person who loves me calls me by, 
I respond to. It's my name. And so this is the, the way that slave and love come together. So this is then something of extreme power to be offering what one has as a slave, but by love, so not by coercion or culture or nature or anything else, but by love. So slave by love to be her slave, to be Abdullah, the slave of God. Okay, and so this is the place then that be, we begin to see all of these, uh, these, who are we, who is being worshiped and how many forms are that, does that one worshiped have? And then how are we worshiping? We're worshiping as a slave. So worship and slave then are linked in Arabic, the abd and ibadat. So ibadat means worship, ubudiyah uh, means slave basis. So worship and slave, we're looking at the same thing. And then their motivation, what makes it happen is love. So you love the divine and that is your worship and that is your basis of as a slave to the divine. And as Sheikh Noor would then say, therefore nothing is compelled in you or there's no compulsion, no one is forcing you. And so this is a slave who is through love. And this is why that, what that, that being who is the slave of Allah cannot be taken or uh, misappropriated. And so if those two women, the Aisha and Hafsa, had this, they stood on that pillar and those two daughters of Lut stood on those two pillars. Okay. All right. So now we have the mystic guide. This will help us see some of these pictures. The mystic guide opens the way. Brilliant space surrounds the soul. The rose of light, its petals, divine names, blossoms in the grateful heart. The mystic guide pours the true wine his tears of love flood the world his blessed face a golden quran shining as a rising sun in your faithful mystery of love lovers find their cheerful place wandering through the desert of longing Crying aloud, and with delight, answered by then, eyes aflame with desperate love. Your friends cry out, your blood is on the mountain, Lord, reveal yourself to me. My eyes are weeping with love and honey. As I dance on the mystic way, possessing nothing but even myself, crying out of poverty's my pride. My direction of prayer is your face, my victory, my love is all it is. 
So this one, uh, this lover, this is the one, this is the one that is beloved by the divine. So Allah sees this lover and uh, who loves him so much in this complete way. And uh, this is where the true wine flows. So you can't take that wine from someone. Uh, and so, uh, so when we use the word slave, the first half of that is that, well, it sounds like you could take the wine from the slave if you wanted. After all, it's your possession. But if you take the second aspect, which is the love, that is whatever my beloved uh, calls me, that is my name, and I am the slave of her. So when you take that as both aspects, of worship, then the true wine then flows. And that flowing of the true wine from the slave who loves is that greatest pillar. And these are the ones that Aisha and Hafsa discovered. This is what the two daughters discovered. And this is what Ibn Arabi says made him so happy to learn this secret. And later on, he'll give two other secrets about these, this strong pillar. And part of the other secrets, we can look at them now uh, because they're all very much interrelated then. Let me see if I can put this up so I can see. Okay, here we go. Okay. So here he's talking about a different aspect, but one more, one of the two of the three secrets, and there could be more secrets, but there's, there's three that I can identify for us. There is in the created world no more tremendous power than the woman because of a secret none recognizes except one who recognizes in what the cosmos was made to become. So that's phi, in, in what the cosmos was made to become. And by what motion the true engender the cosmos and that the cosmos is from two antecedents and that the cosmos is the end result so the one marrying, so this is nakih, which is in Arabic, it's easy to show, but in, we don't really have a word in English. So the one marrying, the masculine, is the seeker pursuing, and the seeker's dependent needing. So dependency and need comes from the seeker who is seeking something. And the one married, so the, the mankuh, the one who is married, and that's a masculine noun in Arabic, is the one sought after. And the one sought after has the majesty of someone dependent on him, in this case, her. And intense passion is predominant. So this uh, idea of the motion of creation is very interesting because when Ibn Arabi talks about it, he always has to be very veiled. 
And he's veiled because he says Abu Huraira was veiled when he said that. Abu Huraira said that, um, sorry, Ibn Abbas. Ibn Abbas said that uh, Abu Huraira said, I have two things I took from uh, and, and carried for the Prophet One I distributed, the other I kept inside my throat. And this is the same imagery as the way the, the bird holds the food inside the throat and the children can then eat through this way. So that's, so Abu Huraira said, I held one of these packages, <laughs> one of these you know, collections of mysteries here in my throat and that you will then just have to go dig it from me in order to get it. In other words, he's saying, I didn't digest it. I didn't digest it. I just left it here for you to read and understand directly. So Ibn Abbas is the one who says that when he when he says the verse is recited that that Allah puts his amr his command between the heavens and the earth, and Ibn Abbas says, if I were to tell you what that means, you would stone me, or you would uh, cut my throat, or you know different kinds of things, um, and so there is something very interesting in that. Ibn Arabi always has to be very delicate when talking about this motion of the command coming between the heavens and the earth. So in this passage, then he says, um, so now I have explained for you the place of the woman among the created beings and just what looks to her from the divine presence. So what facet is looking to her and a special face and why she is the visible emergence of power. So Kudrat, it's connected to kun, be. So power, kudrat, is connected to the imperative be. So power here is creative power, creative force. God has alerted to you to what is special about her based on power in his word about Aisha and Hafsa. And if you two put your backs against him, that is, you two assist each other against him, then it is God who is his maula. That is his assistance, Nasir, and Gabriel, and the integrated faithful ones, and the angels after that as a backer. All of this to stand against two women. Okay. And now we'll keep working this through this. God told the story about his prophet Lut, peace be upon him. You see, he said to his people, if only I have a, had a power or could betake myself to a rukan shadid, to an intense pillar. Messenger of God said in an authentic statement based on him, God be mercifully kind to my brother Lut, my, prof, my prophetic brother. He betook himself to a rukan shadid, meaning among his tribe. Now rukan shadid, a rukan here is, Ibn Arabi says tribe, and it's also asir, which means uh, tribe, but also family. So it's very much the idea that in his family, he found a rukan shadid. So this leads us to the two daughters then, that within his family, he found his rukan shadid. So learn that the most powerful faculty is in the one the true is in the one, the true is his faculties. This hasn't been edited yet by Rowan, so is in the one, the true is his faculties. And with this faculties, by means of this adjective, there is only what came before in the book. That's the mother book we looked at last month. And he wrote only what he knew, and he knew only what was flush against the known. 
So there is no changing the words of God, and there is no changing the statement on his side. And he is not oppressive to his devoted slaves. So there, this is all coming together that the ones who are devoted, so this is his ibad, uh, but also um, the concept now, these are the slaves who are devoted to his devoted slaves, to them, he is not oppressive. So there is no pushing them to do something they don't want to do, because this is talking about free will and destiny and, and predestiny. So there is no pushing these devoted slaves to do something they don't want to do. There is no hitting them, striking them, doing something violent to them, which would coerce them or compel them. Because Allah is not oppressive to his slaves, devoted slaves. He says that right after, there is no changing the words of God. There is no changing destiny. And he is not oppressive to his devoted slaves. So it's very powerful how these are all coming together. And they don't, I don't think they're usually put together. But Arabi is doing these things as he does. Okay. So let's go ahead to the one hadith that we're referring to the Hadith Qutsi. Let me go ahead and just read that one here. Whoever competes with me for the friend, the Wali, I have announced war. And my slave approaches near to me with nothing more beloved to me than what I have made required on it. So here I'm using it for the slave because this is it. And actually, it does become quite quite beautiful at some point to hear the it because it's the, the, the one who loves you and is your beloved calling you it saying that that oh that's my my one my beloved so the first one is what's required so this is very much the slave idea that you're required to do something and that when you do that it's beloved by the divine who gave you that requirement and my slave never ceases approaching me nearer until I love it. And when I love it, I become its hearing with which it hears or which it hears with, and its sight which it sees with, and its hand which it grasps with, and its foot which it walks along with. So Ibn Arabi is very interested in seeing how where we are, where God is in, uh, in all this process. And if it asks of me, I will surely provide. And if it seeks refuge in me, I will surely provide protection. So providing of the protection. So the angel said to, uh, later on will say, I, I think to Abraham, the angel said, we were the ones in the house of Lot, of Lut, when all of this happened. So the Ruk and Shadid, the two daughters, were the pillar upon which Lut leaned for help and protection was surely provided because this was the loving slave, the devoted slave. And I do not go back and forth about a thing whose doer is me as I go back and forth about the soul of my slave who is faithful, disapproving of death. And I myself disapprove of a cause of grief to it. So this is disapprove. It's very powerful it's saying I, I disapprove of this happening. And so when the faith one disapproves of it, Allah says, I disapprove of it. And I go back and forth. So Ibn Arabi then brings up throughout the Futuhat, he brings up these, these uh, themes you did not, from Quran. You did not throw when you threw 
but God threw. So you did not throw negates the action. When you threw, it reaffirms the action and makes the entity there. But God threw, now there's no entity, there's only God doing. So the one who is Abdullah, the loving slave of God, is the one who does not do something when he does something, but it's actually Allah does something. And then your cherisher is the doer of whatever he desires. So we think we're doing something. No, it's the one who, the, the one who loves you is doing it. And so that devoted slave is the one that sees that Allah does what he desires. Another verse, indeed, I am making a Khalifa from whom I act behind in the earth. So Khalifa is from whom I act behind, min khalf, from behind. So what you see is Adam Eve acting, but it is Allah behind them. And then, so then he loves the ones of goodness. He loves the ones turning in repentance. He loves the patient ones, all from Quran and the rest from Quran here. He does not love the ones who exalt ungratefully. He does not love the, unth the unthankful. He does not love the oppressor. So here we have a situation where we have Allah looks in the mirror and we are the image. Some of those images are ones that Allah does not love when those images do certain things. And some of those images are images God loves when they do good things. And some of those images are images from behind which Allah is acting. And some of those images are, but God through, God acting. So the images that Allah sees and that we see on this side, ones that he does not like, ones that he likes, ones that he is acting behind, and ones where there is no entity there, but he is the one acting. So all of this is come, so this acting without entity is the state of slave basis. And it happens when that slave loves the beloved. And that process of loving the beloved and being completely a slave makes all of these beautiful things happen. Okay, so let's hear our song from Farida, beautiful song, and then. Hearing okay? Is everyone hearing okay? Love with love. 
Okay, thank you. Wonderful. So we're getting some chats coming up. We can yeah. Okay. Well, please, could you say more about the Aya you quote in slide two, quote, and cut them off, quote? Yeah, so, uh, so Hajara, Hijr, and Ufjuru, so H and J and R, um, this one is to cut off from companionship. So if someone is put aside and, and companionship and intimacy is severed, then that's the word for this HJR, Ufjuru. So to so put them over there and have them cut off from your intimate companionship. And so uh, this is the, um, if we look at the interpreting the Quran from the Sunnah or the practice of the prophet, then this one tells us that when the two wives were there, um, he cut himself off from them and he separated from them uh, and and broke off intimate conversation and intimacy with them. So when we look at that verse, uh, the first thing to do is to look at what, how did the Prophet interpret that verse? And we do have a practice that of his that he separated from them, cut them off from uh, intimate companionship. Is love higher or bigger than servanthood or are they both at the same station? So, uh, so, so servanthood is a voluntary entering into a situation, but you, you keep your entity with you. Um, whereas the love, which Ibn Arabi talks about, this divine love or spirit-based love, is one where your entity, in a sense, does not remain. You, you have given all, and your love is so overwhelming that you are you simply see what the beloved sees. And so this is part of the alchemy of love is that <clears throat> when I love someone, I, I love what they love. And so we talked about when it's a, a hot day and I might hate the heat, but if the lover, the beloved loves heat, then I say, oh good, there's a hot day. My beloved will be happy. At some point, there's no more looking at whether it's hot or cold, whether I like it or not. All I see is the beloved loves this and doesn't love that. And so for the beloved, when the beloved is the divine, I, I see the beloved doesn't like the oppressors and the beloved loves the patient ones. And I don't see whether the patient ones are nice to me or I like them or don't like them, or whether I like or don't like injustice and oppression. All I see is what the beloved sees. So that alchemy in a sense removes my entity and all I see is the divine and what the divine loves, what the beloved loves. And so at that moment, I'm not loving a thing, I'm loving loving, as Ayur Rahman said, to us a few weeks ago. And so the song, I'm in love with love, is where you no longer see your nature, what I like, what me as a human being likes. All I see is my beloved. And then everything becomes the beloved. So this becomes, then, then I give other devotion. And then, you know, I have no entity anymore. My essence, call me whatever you would like to call me, to, I say to the beloved, because that's my name. Okay. 
Um, another question, isn't servitor a better English equivalent instead of slave for the Quranic word abd? I understand servitor to mean one who is at the service of God. This word servitor seems to best reflect the true meaning of abd, whereas slave seems to have a negative connotation, a non-human concept that can hardly suit a love relationship between human being and God. Yeah, and that's why that's why this that's in a sense why we're looking at all of this because it is very interesting how we can use this word out and how we can translate it. Um, it does have this idea of slave, and so uh, what's so interesting is that that well, I'm I'm keeping in a sense the slave um, and having to say it means this, not something else. Uh, but the idea then is as that the person who loves the beloved says, I am her slave, meaning I have no independent will or desires or things I love that are independent of the one I love. And so the person in that state says, I am a slave. And so I am Abdullah, I am the slave of Allah. Um, and so, and it is, and I guess, it's interesting to keep, in a sense, this huge contradiction, because it's the same contradiction that we have when we're trying to understand Aisha and Hafsa, and we're, and we're trying to understand that verse, which so many, almost every translator takes as striking, that you should beat up women who don't give you what you want, simply as that. Uh, and, to, and, and so that tells us we have a real issue. We don't understand this, what it means to be the devoted slave of God. Because Ibn Arabi is saying that the devoted slave of God is the most powerful there is. And it is what the beloved most wants to see. The beloved most wants to see the lover who says, I am devoted to you and everything is you. And that's when you are in love, you speak that way. And so, um, and so the beloved also says, we have an Allahi, the beloved says, you know, never ever abandon love. You know, the beloved loves that you love that way. Okay. Can you please go read through the five secrets presented, a summary? <laughs> okay, well, I think we had three secrets. Uh, okay, one is that, I no, we had two, because there's a third one that we haven't even gotten into. The first one is, the devoted slave of Allah, that is something that is so desired and valued by the divine that Allah says, I will take the place and I will protect you. And so when that person loves in that way, then you have a situation where Allah says, I will protect you. So we had the Hadith Qudsi, that I become the foot with which it walks. And if it asks for refuge, I give it protection. So that quality of being the foot by which you walk, Allah being the foot by which you walk, that quality then brings you this divine protection. And it is the strongest, the Rukan Shadi, the powerful, intense pillar. Number two is that what the two women had was, um, what the two women had was a quality that was made beloved to the Prophet. The Prophet said, women were made beloved to me. 
Now you can't. Now Ibn Arabi is talking about creation, but you can't reduce this to creation because, after all, for instance, Aisha did not produce him children, um, and then the child Ibrahim, you know, died early, and so the inheritance, the 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 one who is the child of the Nur Muhammad is Fatima. She's the kautha. She's the the fountain that's given when he has no usual sense of the term lineage. So the second one can't just be looked at creation, but it's part of creation that there is what's made beloved. That said, women were made beloved to me. When he says this, he's he's he is married to women, uh, some who might be creating in the biological sense, most who are past the age of creating in the biological sense, um, and some who didn't could not create in the biological sense. So, uh, but there is something about the male-female dynamic of creation which takes place without questioning whether someone getting pregnant or not. And the same uh, that then tells us that Ibn Arabi is then focusing on the male and female inside of us, the male and female inside uh, uh, our near circles and then the society as well. So the male, female inside of me, there is a dynamic going on. And so although that dynamic is not going to create a child, in the same sense that those women, many of them of his wives were not going to create a child either. So then we have to see this as some other level or, or kind of, of creation. And the third one has to do with the angels that are created from the breasts of the women. And this is, I'll just read it. We have to do this later. That was part of this passage that I just couldn't get to. I mean, for time. So each, so, you know, the angels are going to be there against these two women. Each angel God created from the breaths, the, the anfas of the women, is more powerful, is the most powerful of the angelic host. So the angels created from these women, their breaths, their, their, their breathing, is the most powerful of the angelic host. Because this angel is from the most powerful breath. The divine name powering, Kudrat and Kun, turns to face for the creative process of the angels from the breaths of the women provided and attributed to the power in them compared to the rest of the angelic host. So the breath, the, the usual universal breath to, of nafas ar-Rahman, which creates all these things with be and it is, there's also a special breath that comes from the women, Ibn Arabi says the nisa, the women, and their breath creates an angelic host, which is greater than the other angels. So this is another one, that's, that's mystery number three that Ibn, Ibn Arabi begins to explore. Uh, if there's four or five, I don't know about that. <laughs> I'm gonna skip over yeah. the next question just to continue with the slave. Um, slave seems to include losing oneself in love of Allah. Yeah, 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 so that's, and that's, so when, the, the, re the reason I like to use, I, I wanna, you know, things became clear to me when I was able to to see the chapter of love, where Ibn Arabi talks about slave and and this love, and so this that's when you get the the concept say, call me her slave. I am her slave. Call me by any name you want to give me. So calling me by her, um, whatever she calls me. So that so when someone says I am her slave or I am Abdullah, that's a lot 
easier to understand than saying, say, oh, that guy over there is a slave. So it is definitely something about losing oneself in love. And that, that love makes you a devoted and then slave and worship in Arabic. So abd and ibadat and ibad, all of these are the same word. Worship and slave is the same word. And then for Ibn Arabi, it's the third thing also, it's love. So to worship is to love, to be Allah's slave is to love. And so you have Abdullah, slave of God, Habibullah, the beloved of God. Can you please re-explain why the meaning of Daraba in, <laughs> this is hard for me, Idri Buhauna is run away and not beat. Right, so um, the fourth form Adraba is uh, to turn away or go away from, to avoid and to turn away from. And if, and so wa'adribuhuna then is the fourth imperative. Now, if someone says it's the first form, then they'll say it's idrabihuna. And so, um, but there's no uh, indication. So what we have to understand, how do we understand the, the word? How do, do we understand it as hit? Or do we understand it as turn away? So linguistically, you have two verbs that have just come. Uchuru, so um, cut them off from intimate uh, intimacy. And then it adrabu would be turn away from them. So cut them off and turn away from them. So those two verbs seem to go together. So linguistically, you see those coming together. Or you can say, well, I want to see from the sunnah of the Prophet how he looked at that. And you can then look at that. The Prophet never hit man, woman, or child. And Aisha saying the, the Prophet never hit an assistant or a woman ever. And so his interpretation was that if he had that situation where for instance, Aisha and Hafsa did not want to be intimate with him instead of hitting them. He did not hit man, woman, or child. Uh, then the, then, and so these are the way, these are ways to interpret Quran. Um, and if you say, well, what about the hit with a, uh, with a two stick and all of that? Now, that's another level. And there may have been many hadith created in order to seem to, to modify behavior on men who are violent. But when it comes to Hafsa and Aisha and the Prophet there's no question that there is no coercion, no violence, because, if they're, they're, because these two were devoted slaves of Allah. And so what they had was so powerful that it could not be attacked or taken away. In fact, even Allah as his Maula and Jibreel and the righteous, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, were not able to violently take what was not theirs. And so these are all the different ways that you interpret. You have to say, well, if therefore I, I have to read because there are no vocal signs, I have to read a or i. So uh, so you just, Go to your Arabic verbs, and you find out the different imperatives of the third, the first, and the fourth. The fact that this is related historically over time uh, to be hit, um, this is the this is the question that we have. At what level are we reading the Quran? One could say that this is uh, saying that 
well, one could say whether this is acceptable or not legally in a legal situation. But if you're reading the Quran to understand how the Prophet understood the Quran, then you're reading it from his sunnah. And his sunnah was to never hit man, woman, or child. Shuei, can you show that book again? Oh. <laughs> a little more my well-summed well book. <laughs> yeah. And so... I don't know what page. I, I'll, okay, if, well, let's just let's go to it. Um, 127. So, okay, right here. So here's where you'd have Adribu. Adribu would be second person, masculine, plural. Adribu of the fourth form right there. So that's that's the way to do it. And so the question then becomes, you know, why why do we have so many commentaries going straight into, well, you hit her but with a tooth stick or something like that. Um, Ibn Arabi himself doesn't look at the at the verse directly, but he looks at it from the concept of when something is a powerful, intense pillar, <clears throat> no violence can take what's not theirs. And then back to Lot. And his in his house, no violence could take what was not there. They had no right to women. The people who were assaulting said, "We have no right on to them. So therefore, we cannot get from them what we have no right to. If they were to marry, then both parties would have rights." Okay. Kathy has a question. Um, she has an interest. <coughs> 360, which today you said was the number square that is number of the kinds of knowing. I believe that there were 360 idols at the Kaaba prior to Muhammad, peace be upon him. Is this later 360 the point of view, the points of view in a circle, all of which in solitary cannot image reality, but 360 squared provides an adequate view of reality? Yeah, I think the 360 has to be something about 360 degrees. So you have this circle, um, and and so uh, and and you have a you have the circle of existence of time, history, cosmography, cosmology. All of that is a circle, and so the Nur Muhammad Sallallahu is starts the circle, and whatever starts the circle we know is the end. So the moment you put the first notch in, you now have the end. So the Nur Muhammad is the first of the circle, and the Nur Muhammad is a rahmah, a kind mercy to all the worlds. And so the circle goes around, and somewhere in that circle, uh, the Nur Muhammad takes bodily form in the person of Muhammad And then when he passes away, we see the Nur Muhammad again at the end, when the Arhamah Rahimin, the one who is interceding for all of the worlds, so this is how the circle comes becomes complete. So that seems to be the 360 degrees. As for the square, uh, this could also be that there is one more dimension that takes place within this circle. So a circle is not just a line, but a square, a squared number. Uh, so 360 degrees squared takes you from a, a, a line into a plane. So there could be a circle, which is a plane. And so you're seeing that go around and around. And so there's something that, and, and there's, this is also the number of the pens, the small pens that are writing. 
Um, and so th that's that's something to look at. It's a huge thing that goes on. And Ibn Arabi drops these hints to us and then moves right along. <laughs> Is this discussion possibly related to the issue of needing two women as witnesses? What does Ibn Arabi opine about this? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can't see that one. Yeah, so Ibn Arabi talks about that in the passage on he's looking at men and women, uh, and he says that he says that the that the sickness that men have, uh, the cure for the sickness that many men have is that the women are shakaik of the men. Shakaik men are the branches, so they're two equal branches or two equal parts. So the men and the women are two equal parts, and he says with that hadith alone, that's your medicine. Oh, you men who can't handle <laughs> the idea of women having, you know, this kind of whatever power and things like that. Uh, and so he does talk about the, the witnesses. And he says, what's so very interesting about the two witnesses, and this is a huge passage. I think it might be in volume one, but well, it's a huge passage. It gets very complicated because he says the the woman, the two women are there, not because they have they're faulty in their memory because one of them is, is remembering, it's in order to be a, to hold a strong fort against the men who are arguing. Because the situation about these two witnesses isn't only for financial transactions. So someone says, I, I'm giving you a thousand dollars and I want it back next year. And so the two women, are the, oh, there's two women in the marketplace. Oh, come on over to the market, these two women. And they sit there and say, will you two listen and be the witness? So they listen to the witness saying, okay, you gave him a thousand dollars and it's due at this time. And then the day comes when it's due and the guy doesn't want to pay it. So he said, oh, you know, I, and that's why he has two women there as the witnesses, not because one of them is not remembering and the other one is and so on. So he looks at that and then he says, but then there are situations where one woman's testimony is the only one that's accepted. So, and so no man has, has any um, a role in, in the court when it comes to menstruation ending and, and, uh, and when the menstruation is ended, for instance. So the woman is the sole uh, person who says, this is the situation and her testimony is over any other one's testimony. So one woman has a testimony that men don't even have enter into. Um, and then there's a financial situation where two women and one man are equal witnesses. And then there are ones where there are, there are multiple men have to be witnesses uh, for one woman's witness. And so, so all of so Ibn Arabi saying it's all very, very complicated. And uh, it just tells you that, you that these men who are trying to say women are half of men or whatever, they need to get the medicine, which is the women are shaka'ik of the men, that they are equal, branches or equal halves. Okay. What do you think of the major roles of the two women in the transmission of the deen? Aisha, the Hadith, and Hafsa, who was the custodian of the Quran before it was finally officially gathered? Beautiful. Absolutely. There you go. Because uh, so Aisha, so it's so interesting. When I was looking into this a little bit more, I also was thinking about how, how you have Khatija and Aisha, and there is there's something there's something between them. And Aisha said, I was never jealous of anyone, but I was jealous of Khatija. And when we have been married for three years, someone came, Gabriel came, and said, I want you to give good tidings. She said to the Prophet Sallallahu to um, Khatija had already passed away. I want you to give good tidings to Khatija that she has her pearl pillared house in the garden. 
So a house made out of pearls, custom, in the garden. And so, and then, so Aisha mentions that right before, right after she says, I've never been jealous of anyone except for Khadija. And then when, one day Khadija, and then every time that they would, uh, they would sacrifice a, a, a sheep and then distribute the meat to different people, uh, he would always put a small portion that would go to Khadija's friends, all her old, all her old friends. And so these three things come together because what happens is that there you have Fatima who is the lineage of the Prophet Sallallahu And so Fatima, so from Fatima, we get the lineage of the Nur Muhammad. From Aisha, we get a third or half of the deen of the religion. So while she doesn't have a child to take, to, to transmit these things, she has the transmission of being the one who was without a man in her life, a husband, a child, or a father for many years. And she is the one then transmitting the deen, the, the religion of, of Islam. And this was very important. We see that in the, we see that very often when we have Abu Huraira saying, oh, when a woman menstruates, she's unclean. And then, the, and then Aisha heard that and then, you know, quickly set the record straight. Said I used to, uh, I used to be in the bed and the prophet would get up and I was, when I was menstruating and he would push my leg away and do the sajda on our, on our sleeping mat. And then if I put my leg back again, he would push my leg away this while I was menstruating. He would recite Quran, we would recite Quran. His head would be in my lap while I was menstruating. And the question then becomes, Abu Huraira, how many years were you married to the prophet that you know what to do about menstruation and so on? So it's uh, very important. Uh, she, so she then becomes, and then Hafsa, the one who can gather uh, these folios and say, this is Quran. So absolutely, it's, it's absolutely beautiful. And in a way, when you begin to look at some of these things, it's so, at some point, you begin to see, oh, it's just, it's women doing this and women doing that and women doing that, and my goodness. And then you go back to sort of conventional Muslim patriarchal and all you hear about is men again. But when you hear it this way, all you hear about is the women and the mothers. And it's, it's beautiful. So. Ah, here's a new question. The sophistic uh -huh. interpretation is interesting for its own purpose. In fact, we need this interpretation. In his chapter on law and, and Sharia, yeah. I am amazed that almost whole internet internal meaning of the ayat by Ibn Arabi is relevant or at least corroborative in the, at the end with the literal meaning of the fukaha. But in this ayat you talk now, the internal meaning given by Ibn Arabi is totally irrelevant with the traditional Fasir understanding. Can you give comment? Yeah, yeah, this is what, it, this is absolutely fascinating because, and again, uh, it, it, after I've been in years immersed in Ibn Arabi, um, if I ever get out of the ocean and listen to other people talk about Islam or fiqh, I often get very, whoa, are we talking about the same thing at all? <laughs> because it is a, it's a real disconnect, as it were. Um, and so what, what it, what's happening there, when Ibn Arabi sees something, he tells you, this is what the ayah, this is what the verse is saying. And, you, and he often, as I said, he, he, does, he rarely quotes more than one verse in the same time. And he also rarely quotes the entire verse. Usually it's half the verse because you have to see the meaning of the half verse of that clause. And so there's so much in there. 
Uh, okay, I'll just, for yesterday, we were talking, um, Sheikha was talking about forgiveness. And there, and uh, and Baki had, a, we, we read from Sheikh Noor, uh, chapter 39, no, 38, 30. Well, it's the one on uh, forgiving all sins, that I forgive all. And so when Allah says, I forgive all, I'm Ghafur, and I'm the one who forgives all. In the translation of Yusuf Ali, usually are quite good, but there's the footnote which says, uh, he forgives all sins as long as you repent and you just do good things and blah, 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 blah. And what that's interesting is that's actually what the, the fukaha, the legal scholars have said, you cannot add to or subtract to the audience of the address or the, the, the terms of the address. So, you, so I can say, um, uh, bring me, uh, you know, if you give me this, I will do that. Uh, that so what that I will forgive sins. So to add to to subtract to that, I would have to say, well, I will forgive sins. God meant I will forgive sins that fall under this category of class B four sins. Those I'll forgive. But you can't say only class B four sins are going to be forgiven when Allah says I will forgive all sins. And so to restrict and say He only meant class B four sins is to then take on, is to take on law. You're making a law that wasn't there before. And this is illegal. You cannot create a Sharia that's not the Sharia that we have. And so uh, what's so very interesting about Ibn Arabi, he takes the way that all of the fuqaha pledge to do. They pledge to say, we'll take Quran and Hadith only, and we won't restrict it without another Hadith or another ayah. And yet they do that all the time. They restrict all the time. And so this is where we get. And so in a sense, you could say it's a patriarchal interpretation, which starts restricting right away. So you have a verb here that says, that, that says, adribuhuna, the turn away from them, adraba. And even if you want to say, I'm reading daraba, you've got to say, where do you get that interpretation from? And the fact that over the centuries, all of these men have said, this is the way we see it. That really, I still can't restrict the ayah based on what centuries of men have told me to do because I'm following the original pledges. I interpret the Quran by the practice of the prophet. And if the practice of the prophet was never to hit anyone, man, woman, or child, when not in jihad, then we have a situation. So here we go. Okay. Thank you, Shuib. Lots of thank yous for all oh, the comments. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, we uh, we may look at the angels' breasts that comes from the women, the angels that are created from the breasts of women, uh, or we may look at 360 next week. But uh, let me know uh, ideas that you have. This has been an, an incredible topic, uh, and it is. It's it's one that chapter 22 is just is. It's just out of this world. Every time he says, he, says, he lists these things, 19, so there are 19 of these stations, of these alighting places inside the Quran. You know, where are they? How are they? And then he said, and then he said, and I'm going to tell you very explicitly, it's here in this verse and it's here in that verse. And then you still, I still don't understand what he's going on with. So it's a beautiful and incredibly intricate passage. But this is where he says, and if you understand this, about the two women, Aisha and Hafsa. If you understand this, you will know why Allah says, uh, 
at, and why that Allah speaks the true and who is the guide to the way. So this is from Al-Ahzab um, 33.4. And it is the verse that ends every single chapter from then onwards. Every chapter is ended with, and God speaks the true and who is the guide to the way. And he says in chapter 22, he says, if you understood Aisha and Hafsa, you will understand why God says, and God speaks it true, and who is the guide to the way. And I'm still waiting to get the full understanding of that. So, okay, so thanks. It's so good to see all you beautiful faces. <laughs> Thank you, Habibah.